Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I was going to actually um, read uh, the passage that Trainer read to us a few minutes ago as introduction to my sermon this morning. So we've already read the last part of Hebrews 4, which obviously leads into our passage this morning for Hebrews chapter 5. So if you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, we have just sung together uh, to be led to the cross of Calvary. Lead us to the cross. And as we continue our study this morning, uh, we are entering the section of uh, Hebrews where for the next uh, several chapters... Um, we are going to be uh, talking about the high priest ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the passage that Trainer read to us then spoke about that and began with, Therefore, since we have a great high priest. And this is, of course, the topic that this Jewish audience that, uh, G- that the apostle was speaking to were very familiar with. It was a very important part of their life. And so uh, let's begin this time together as we continue this and move in this very important uh, section of the book of Hebrews. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, uh, we pray that we will continue to hear your word. We've heard your word this morning. Our children have sung your words to us. We have sung together. We have listened to your word. We have shared in your word. And we continue to worship now by reflecting on your word together. May your word be a blessing to our hearts. And may it continue to lead us to the cross of Calvary for it's the reason that we are here today. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5, as I said, we're going to begin this, uh, this section on the ministry of Jesus as a high priest. And we're going to begin this um, with some prerequisites for, uh, for the high priest. You think back on the Old Testament story when Israel was out Mount Sinai and they received the Mosaic Law, a significant part of that was that uh, the family of Aaron, who Moses, Moses, of course, was his brother, the Levitical tribe and the family of Aaron, that from his family and eventually Aaron was called to be the high priest. And the high priest was a very important function and ministry responsibility in the nation of Israel. We've sung today about God's holiness. It's been a theme the last couple of weeks as we have sung together. And the holiness of God is such an important part of the ministry of the priesthood, the Israel's approach to God, God's meeting with Israel in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, and then in the temple. Um, this is a very important part of their story. So chapter one, chapter five, verse one. First of all, every high priest is selected From among men. Now this is going to be a very important uh, part of our reflection on the Lord Jesus Christ today. He begins, the author begins talking about the high priest. And he reflects back in Exodus chapter 28 as they um, are preparing for their, their leaving and they're preparing for the temple. In Exodus chapter 28 and verse 1, God tells Moses... Have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. 
And then the Hebrew of this word, uh, this idea that you bring Aaron from among the family of Israel. You bring him from among his brother. He is, there's a solidarity there. He's an equal. He is one of the Israelites, just like the rest of them. There's nothing special he has done. He has not earned this position. It is not because he's Moses' brother, but God has called him. God could have called anybody he chose to call. But he chose to call Aaron from the tribe of Levi. And he says, bring him from among his brethren. So the first prerequisite for the high priest, he must come from among his brothers. He must be an Israelite. If he is going to serve Israel, he must be an Israelite. There is a solidarity with the people of Israel. He must be human to be humane. He must be a human and he must be an Israelite from their brethren. The second prerequisite, you'll notice, connected, of course, with that. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. The second prerequisite is that if he is going to serve, he must be willing for his call, to heed his call, to come and to serve as the intermediary, if you will, between the people and between God. He is the one who would go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. If you read, we're going to discuss that a little bit more tonight. We're going to connect this tonight. Each Sunday night, we're going a little bit deeper, or some of the areas we haven't been able to cover in the morning. And tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the day of Yom Kippur, and what that meant in Israel's history. Back in 1985, we went on our first trip to Israel. We just happened to be there on Yom Kippur, Yom Day Kippur covering the Day of Atonement. And in fact, in the Mishnah, in the Jewish uh, codified law, it's just simply called uh, Yomah. It's the day. It is the day. The day. And it's the day that uh, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and offer for Israel uh, atonement for their sins. And we were there on that day. And I wondered what it would be like. Uh, all I knew was we were on our own that day because our bus driver and our guide couldn't work. It was a holy day and it was a special Sabbath for them. We were just on our own. So we just kind of wandered down. We ended up at the Wailing Wall. And we ended up at the Wailing Wall. Because, of course, the Jewish day ends at 6 o'clock. And so we just sort of hung out there and we watched. And the people just came and they came quietly and they came quietly and more and more, and pretty soon the, the, the plaza in front of the western wall was, was just packed. And people were praying, and they were quiet. And then at 6 o'clock, uh, the shofar, a horn, uh, was blown. The day came to an end, and they left. I was sort of expecting, like, some kind of celebration or something, you know. But it was a very quiet, somber day. There had been fasting for the 24 hours before this. They came, they prayed, and they left. It was on that day that the high priest made sacrifice for the people of Israel. We'll discuss that more and connect that with this this evening. But his job was to offer gifts, you notice here, and sacrifices for sins. That was his function as a high priest. And it was done very carefully, and it was done exactly according to God's law. That's the second prerequisite. You'll notice the next one that it says in verse 2. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for that of the people. The the third requirement 
for the high priest is he has to offer sacrifice for himself. He has to offer sacrifice for himself. And you notice what's connected with this. What's connected is the first part of verse 2. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray. You know, this, this part of, the, of, the, of this passage really kind of struck me for this time something fresh and new. I've really never given much thought to this. And that is, what, what would it have been like to have been the high priest of Israel? What would it have been like to be the high priest? How, what would it be like to have that? Now, we know in the gospel stories, we know in the gospel stories that there was a corruption of the high priesthood. During the time between the Testaments, it fell out of so much being in the line of Aaron, and it became something that was purchased. It was a political thing. And we know that the high priest and the high priest's son-in-law during the time of the story of Christ, it's a very corrupt priesthood. Uh, and, and, it's a whole, and, this, and so when the author says this, he must be called by God. This would have struck a note with these early Jewish believers because they knew what it was like in their time. But what would it have been like? What would it be like to be as a human being? They aren't angels. They aren't holy in the sense, intrinsically holy like God is. They are humans. With all the human failings and temptations and frailties of everybody else, what would it be like to have that responsibility to go into the Holy of Holies, to go into the very place, you know, as they went further in and further in from the outer court to the inner court, into the temple and into the holy place and into the Holy of Holies and then to be there finally in front of the Ark of the Covenant where the very presence of God met with Israel. Can you imagine the awesome responsibility that would be, what it would, what it would be like? You know, I, I thought about this a little bit, you know, as pastors, you know, as Gary and introduced himself and Kevin, they always introduce they are, and I introduce myself as a senior pastor, which just means I'm the oldest pastor, right, here. But, you know, as pastors, or, or as teachers, those of you that teach, you know, you, you know, you appreciate when you, when you come in the pulpit, like on Sunday morning, to, to bring God's Word. And you're responsible to, to deliver God's Word and to share it and ask you to think about it and ask you to apply it to your life, and you think back of your own week. And you think, well, why did I say that to that person? That wasn't very kind. Why was I selfish about that? Why was I greedy about that? Why did I let that thought into my mind? Why did I do these things? Why, you know, and you, and you, and you come here, and, you, and I think you appreciate our, our humanity. Well, think of the high priest having to go into the presence of God and bring sacrifice for the entire nation. What a responsibility. And as he went into that Roles. He went into that presence of God. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it strike him of his own failings, his own humanity to be in the, I mean, to actually be in the presence of God with the blood sacrifice and to be reminded these men were human. They sinned. They did wrong things. And it's because of that, before they went in, you'll notice it says here that this is why it says, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. If you go back to Exodus chapter 28 and read chapter 29, you will see the detailed um, description and instructions for the high priest, Aaron, what had to be done to, 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 to bathe himself, to cleanse himself, to offer sacrifices for himself, to offer sacrifices for his family, 
Then he has to offer sacrifices for the priesthood. And it's only after he has offered all the cleansing sacrifices for his own sins that he is then allowed to go in and represent the people for their sins. And this solidarity of, of, the, of the priest, high priest, with his people, and they realize he is just like them. And it's because of that, you'll see here this description that in the Old Testament, the high priests were supposed to be not like the ones in the Gospels that Jesus encountered, but they were supposed to be men who could deal with other people. They could be humane because they were human. And they could be forgiving. And they could find that balance as they represented God's people to, to understanding the people and understanding their need for forgiveness. And at the same time to understand God's righteous standards for, for what he expected of his people. And they went in there, and it really, it really struck me. I've never thought about it. You know, we don't get much insight into these men in the Old Testament. We aren't told much about these high priests and what their life was like. But I, I really like what the author says here. This is why he has to offer sacrifices. Why? So he can deal gently, gently with those who are going astray. Because he knows what it's like to go astray. The third requirement no one, verse 4, takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. You don't, you don't run for this office. Uh, you don't spend money in campaign. You are called by God, and you were called in the family of Aaron. Aaron was called by God. He didn't choose this job. He may not have chosen this job if he had an opportunity. But God chose him, and God called him. And he served as high priest because he was called by God. So then the author of Hebrews is going to apply this now to Jesus Christ. Once he's laid out what it means to be high priest and what the prerequisites are and what he is supposed to do, I want you to notice in verse 4, after he says this, in verse 5, so Christ, and we're going to kind of do it in reverse order. It's not the exact same order, but I want you to notice first of all, so Christ did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, in this well-known quotation from the Psalms that we see in the New Testament, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And of course, in the Old Testament, that seemed to be speaking of David. But here it's referred to Christ. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever. That's interesting. You know, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. Uh, there's, there's a mystery, obviously, there that, that we will never, could never even begin to understand. But somehow in this, in this mystery, this Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ was called to be the one to come and be the offering for sin. Remember, I tell my people, young people in the Bible instruction class, we've been talking about this. Remember that it's not... Father, Son, Holy Spirit is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are equal. They are three distinct personas or persons, but they all share the same substance or essence. That's the language of the early church when they hammered out the description. What one is, the other is. And the Son was called and chosen to be the one to be the high priest and a high priest forever. 
So he was called. You'll notice here it says, in the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to come back to Melchizedek because this becomes very important in the next chapters. The guys on Wednesday night when they were practicing, Trainer promised me they were writing a song about Melchizedek, but I didn't hear it this morning. I'm waiting to hear the hymn to Melchizedek, okay? Not too many hymns you hymnal about Melchizedek, right? Yeah, okay. So are you guys here today? Yeah, come on, smile at me. Let me see you smile. Ah, oh, thanks, Kyle. All right, good. You need to wake, you need to liven up here a little bit this morning. Our kids, you know, Kevin was right. You gotta come and sit in front of these kids. Man, they were singing the other songs as well. And, uh, they were really good to have them with us this morning. We're gonna learn more about Melchizedek. So we're just gonna kind of leave that right now in the order of Melchizedek. In the order of Melchizedek, this is gonna be very important to the priesthood of Jesus because Melchizedek was not in the family of Aaron. Not at all. Not even a Jew, if you will. And so we'll come back to that. Jesus was called. He was appointed by God, just as Aaron was. Notice verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth. Look at this. He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and was made perfect. Now, as you look at this passage, when did Jesus offer up these? I mean, this is strong language. This is strong language. When did he offer up prayers, petitions with loud cries and tears? Weeping in tears. We know Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Almost all the commentators, old and more contemporary, all point out that the author here seems to have in mind the Garden of Gethsemane. When we were in Israel, we also, you always go to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there's this old olive, old gnarly olive tree. It's a big olive tree that they think has been there for 2,000 years. And may have been there when Jesus was there. And you go to that Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jerusalem is, is over to the west is your east and the Mount of Olives is, is, is to your east. And you're down there in that valley in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you read each of the Gospels, take time and go to the end of each of the, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics, and you will find in those Gospels that when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he, and he, and he, and he, remember he says, he asked his disciples, could you please stay awake and, and pray with me? Pray. And he went a stone's throw away and he knelt down and, and he prayed. And it says he, 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 he was agonized. His soul was in agony. It was so deep. And he said, he, and he said, and he even came to the point, he said to God, if it is possible, let this cup pass. If there is any other way, in fact, it says he prayed three times. Three times. It says specifically, he, he came back to the disciples and says, couldn't you guys just, couldn't you just stay awake and pray with me? Couldn't you just stay awake and pray with me? He goes back and three times, and it says each time he prayed the same thing, he went and he prayed, and he said, but not my will, but your will be done. And he prayed with such agony that, 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 that the Gospels tell us it says he, he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. And there's, and there's a physical reality here. His, his agony was so intense that his, his blood vessels actually leaked into his perspiration. 
There's a Jewish, interesting one of the commentaries, um, old commentary by Westcott, been around for a long time. In this section, he says, this passage in Hebrews finds a striking illustration in a Jewish saying, quote, There are three kinds of prayers, each loftier than the preceding. Prayer, crying, and tears. Prayer is made in silence. Crying with raised voice, but tears overcome all things. There is no door through which tears do not pass. Prayers with crying and with tears. And the Lord Jesus Christ, taken from among humans. See, the high priest had to be taken from among his brothers. There was a solidarity with his brothers. And the Lord Jesus Christ, although he was a son, it says, and he was taken from among humanity. What did the Gospel of John say? We, we, we held him. We touched him. We saw him. The word of life. We were with him. We didn't know it at the time, maybe, who he was really, but now we understand. And we were with him. He was taken. He had to become human. Listen, only... A priest, a man from among the Israelite family could serve the Israelites as high priest. Only a human, not an angel. If it were possible for an angel to come to earth and to die on the cross, we've sung, lead us to Calvary. If it were possible, God could have sent an angel. But it had to be a human. Only a human could take my place. Only a human could be the sacrifice for me, could be my substitute. We have basketball league going and we substitute players in and out. You go in for this person, you go in for that person. You don't send in a robot, you don't send in a comic book, you don't send in anything. You send in another person to take their place. You substitute. And the sacrifice had to be a substitute. It had to be a human. And because of that, Jesus Christ, as Trainer read this passage this morning, our high priest, who was tempted in all ways like we are. He was tried in all ways like we are. We, we read in, in, in John that there is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And he was tempted in all these ways. Temptation is not a sin. He was tempted in all these ways. He knows exactly what it's like to be human. To the point that he offered up prayers, petitions, and wailing and crying before God. That God would be with him and God would help him and save him, if you were, as he went to the cross of Calvary. We're going to close our service, I think, with the song, Love of God, this morning. That really speaks to this. When you think of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, he was not the only person that's ever crucified. It's a horrible, torturous, excruciating way to die. But in addition to that, it was the darkness of sin that he had to carry on his soul to the point that there were three hours of darkness that nobody could look. And once again, he, this, this crying continued to the cross of Calvary. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How could he say that? He's God. How could he say that? But he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a solidarity. He was taken from among his brothers so he could experience our humanity. 
and die for us. And so then verse 8, although he was a son. Now look, think about this. Do you really believe this about Jesus? Do you believe this about Jesus Christ? Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Did Jesus have to learn obedience? Was he not God himself? This is what we teach in historic Christian faith. The Orthodox Christian faith, we teach that Jesus is fully God. Why, how could he learn obedience? He learned obedience from experience obedience. He came in the Garden of Gethsemane and cried out to God, If there be any other way, but not, your, not my will, but your will be done. And he was obedient to the plan of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit from before the foundation of the world. And he was obedient to that plan, and he, and he experienced and learned obedience, not because of disobedience like we do, and not because he was disobedient, but he experienced humanity. He experienced what it means to be human. He experienced what it means to go through hard times. He experienced what it meant to get to the point where you cry out with your prayers and tears before God and say, God, what else? Why not? I've, I've been with people Recently, brothers and sisters in the Lord who have been are going through life and, and, and in this situation and cry out before God and cry out before God. And Jesus cried out before God and he learned obedience. He was obedient to the cross of Calvary. And what about this made perfect? Was he not perfect as the son of God? How is he made perfect? It's interesting that the word that's here used for perfect is the exact same root word in the Greek language, which represents the Aramaic he spoke. It's the exact same Greek word for on the cross of Calvary when he says, it is finished. The idea is completion. It's not perfection in the sense of something imperfect becoming perfect. But in the original language, this word is used here, has the nuance, the idea of completed, of finished. That's why he said, it is finished. And the author here is saying, from what he suffered, he learned obedience, and he was made, it was made complete, the sacrifice. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And just like the high priest, he was called from his brothers. He was a human. And he, and, he had, and he had to experience humanity. He was humane. He experienced firsthand what our life is like. He offered the work of a priest. He brought the sacrifice. We're going to see this develop in the next chapters. And became the source of of eternal life for all. He was called by God. He came from his brothers. He offered the sacrifice. You notice the one thing it doesn't say he did, he never had to make sacrifice for himself. He never had to cleanse himself first. And that is why he becomes the sacrifice for your salvation and mine. It had to be a human 
to represent me, but it had to be completely holy to satisfy God. And only God is intrinsically holy. Thus, the God-man, the incarnation. And he became a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. We looked at this last week and we talked about your attitude should be the same as Christ. But in verse 8, And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Obedient to death. And it was perfected. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. The Lord Jesus Christ, who became my high priest. Yes, this is written to Jewish believers. But there is a sense in which, as we're going to see as we go through this, the application of the blood in the heavenlies. We're going to see this picture of heaven, that he has this role of high priest. He has this role of the one who intercedes for us. He has this role as the one who was taken from among his brothers, who experienced humanity. He was human so he could be humane. He could be sympathetic and treat others kindly. He had to suffer. And he was appointed by God. And he became our Savior. You know, um, let's close our service. Let's close our service from this part of Scripture by reading what Trainer read to us just a little while ago from Hebrews chapter 4. This is what leads into this discussion of Jesus as the high priest. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 14, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Any of you ever feel weak? You don't have to raise your hand. Any of you felt weak this week? Any of you ever been hurt? Any of you ever been hurt by other Christians? Any of you ever faced very uncertain times? Any of you ever faced challenges and difficulties? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. But we have one who has been tested in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Listen, verse 16. We spoke of this last Sunday night. But it's a good one for us to close on today. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. So we may receive mercy and find grace to help when? In our time of need. The wonderful thing about this, and you know this, you don't get to try it out ahead of time. You don't get to try it out ahead of time. I think if anybody here, maybe as pastor, I've been in probably more situations with people where I have to ask myself, Man, how would I respond if that were me? It was this week. You know, it's easy to go and, and, and give advice from Scripture and pray and, and tell them what, what God would have. 
But when someone is going through something and you think to yourself, how would I respond? How would I deal with this? Could I just try it out a little bit so I'll know for sure when it happens to me that this will be true? You don't get to try it out. But you do have this promise that when there is a time of need, you may receive mercy and find the grace that you need and you will find it then. Can somebody say amen? You will find it then. That is the wonderful confidence we have because Jesus Christ was taken from among us, fulfilled his responsibility, was obedient, cried out with tears of anguish, knows what it's like, went to the cross and became the perfect sacrifice and led us to the cross at Calvary. Now we're going to sing a song that that uh, these guys know. My trainer already knows. And when I die, this is my funeral, right? You guys are going to be here. You can't go anywhere. And we're going to get together. A few of you will come. Some of you will say, who was that? Pastor Shamari, when was that? And uh, we're going to have prayer and we're going to sing the love of God, and then we're going to go eat. Because <laughs> there's nothing else to say. This song says it all. Let's sing this song together. This is my favorite song. My favorite song because it has quite a rich story, quite a rich history, and there's really nothing else to say that this song doesn't cover. Amen. Hallelujah. I would hate to have anybody leave here today and not know how much God loves you. God loves you. And God desires for you to receive His sacrifice. Jesus Christ died for you. He died for you. And today, if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart, maybe He's been speaking for a while, maybe you know the Holy Spirit has been drawing you And if that's the case, today might be the day. Why not say yes to God? There's nothing you can do. It's already been done. You can't please Him. Christ pleased Him on the cross of Calvary and paid for your sin. I invite you right now where you, where you stand, let's close our eyes. As we close the service in prayer, I invite you, friend, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and say yes to God, to acknowledge your need for salvation, to receive His love and forgiveness, and to know that you are part of His family forever because He loves you so much. Our Father, we just humbly stand before you today and we acknowledge your great love. We thank you for it. It seems pretty trite to just say we thank you, but we do. We love you and we thank you that our Savior Jesus Christ knows exactly what it's like to be human and yet was without sin and went to the cross and opened the door to eternal life for each of us today. It's the only reason why we're here today. And it's the only reason 
that this week that we are called to walk with you, to love you, and to share your love and compassion with every person we meet this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.